Coastal Church, Pastor Sean here. So great to see you. Thank you for letting me interrupt your service. Uh, this summer, we're going to be doing a great series, 1 John, so that you may know. And what is it that we want you to know? Well, 1 John teaches us the objective truth of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John tells us that he was a part of Jesus' ministry. He saw him here on earth. He heard him teach. He saw him bodily rise from the grave. And, and so our faith is objectively true. But he also teaches us that since it's objective is true, Christ is in us. It's subjectively true as well, that Jesus transforms us from the inside out. So that if we love God, we're going to love others. If we love God as He is light, we're going to walk in the light. And it's going to encourage us in, to walk in holiness and righteousness. So really, really excited about this summer series. And uh, we do these summer series through the books of the Bible so that while you're on vacation, you can tune in. You don't want to miss a week. And so I know a lot of you are going to be vacationing this summer. I hope you have a great time of rest with your family and things like that. But don't miss a week of Coastal Church. So we're really excited for you to join us this summer in our new series, First John. Have a great Sunday. I want to turn it back over to your campus pastor. God bless you. This is a really interesting book, and I want to begin by talking about experiences that we have, and I, sh I am sure that you have had, that you just have a difficult time letting them go. Maybe you don't want to let them go, right? In this case, that's what we're going to have with John. He has experiences that have continued to impact him throughout his life. But I want you to think back, those of you who are, say, 25, 27 years old and older, you remember September 11th, 2001, right? When I mentioned that date, we think about it every year, 9-11 celebrations and all of that. Um, I'm not even going to ask how many, but uh, I was around then. My kids were a good bit younger, and uh, in fact, one of them called me from school. They were attending a, a, a Christian school. They called and said they think somebody bombed the World Trade Center. And, of course, the TV went on and never went off for the rest of the day, and we watched in horror as all of that took place. I've gotten most of what I heard about that experience from the news. Some of you have gotten a lot of it from history books now, right? Our young people are learning about that from history books. I had the opportunity, I was a pastor in the Northeast at the time, uh, and I had the opportunity to go with a group of pastors to Ground Zero about a month after that took place. And I've never been, uh, because I've never had the privilege of serving in the military, I've never been in a war zone, but I can only imagine that must be what it's like. It was incredible. It was uh, powerful. There was, of course, a lot of work. They were still clearing rubble out. And twice, during the time that we were there, everything stopped. Machines shut off. Everything quit. And we were like, what in the world? He said, they found another body. And so they would stop, and everybody would line up in two lines, and they would put the body on the back of a fire truck, and the lights would go, no sirens, and it was eerily silent while they took that body and with great respect took it up out. It was an incredible experience that I will never forget. I have pictures of it, but they're burned in. I don't need to look. Uh, you have experiences like that, right? So when you're listening to someone talk about something, would you just as soon hear somebody tell you about what they read in a book or what they saw in their newsfeed or whatever, or would you be happier to hear about it from somebody who was right there when it happened? I think 
the latter, right? We want somebody who experienced it, not because other people can't give you accurate information, but because listening to what someone says who was right there carries some extra weight. They not, they're not just telling you what they heard, they're telling you what they experienced. That's what's true here in 1 John. And so we're only going to look at the first four verses today. But there are two things, basically. It's only a two-point sermon, but of course you know that means nothing to me about length. But it, uh, there are just two things I want to talk about. And the first is this. This is first-hand reporting. This is somebody who was there and experienced this. So let me read these verses for you. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is John, referred to as the beloved disciple, who writes very tenderly in all of his letters. In his gospel, there's a a tone of tenderness to it. In his, these three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, there is a tenderness of tone that's really kind of unique to John because it's how he was. But uh, interestingly, he wasn't originally that way. James and John were known as the sons of what? Thunder. These guys were fiery and loud and ready to take on the world. But in the in the providence of God as he did his transforming work for John not only was he strong in his character but he became a man of great tenderness and love and that's how he writes and he begins not by saying listen up you people I'm an apostle and you need to hear what I have to say he begins by explaining what he's writing about and where he got his information first is this we have heard now listen I'm, I'm going to go on a little bit here but I want you to think about what is in the background of John's mind as he's writing these words we heard him that means when Jesus was on the hillside saying blessed are those who are poor blessed are those who are poor in spirit blessed are those who are persecuted blessed are those who are meek, when he did the Beatitudes, when he first spoke them, John was sitting there listening to that. We studied the Beatitudes a while back, right? Beginning of the year, and it was was a great study. I love doing that. But can you imagine sitting, listening to Jesus teach the Beatitudes? He listened as Jesus said when he and some of the disciples had tried to keep the kids out of the room. And he said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. John was one of the guys early on who was hearing things from Jesus like, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
John heard Jesus say the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He heard Jesus say when he and the disciples were struggling because Jesus was talking about leaving, and he heard as Jesus said and looked in their eyes and said, Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. Every time I preach those words or refer to those words many times at a funeral, I think to myself, what must it have been like to be the troubled one and have Jesus practically put his arm on your shoulder and say, don't let your heart be troubled. There's a uniqueness to what he heard. And permit me to geek out just for a moment the Greek language is different than ours. It has different tenses, and I'm not going to get technical about what it was, but this one is written in a way that says, we have heard, meaning it happened in the past, but it's not just something that happened back then, he looks back on fondly, but we heard it, and the impact of what we heard remains to this day. Now, can, I, I'm, I'm sure that's true, right? If you heard Jesus talking if you heard those things, many of those phrases are things that we hang on to today. We've memorized them. Imagine having actually heard Jesus say those things. This is not a report. This is a personal testimony, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. I'm thinking miracles here, right? They saw Jesus walking across that lake they thought he was a ghost and then he kind of turned and walked toward them and climbed in the boat they saw him do that they saw peter say lord if it's you let me come out to you and jesus said well come on and jesus and peter walked out there and got a few steps and realized well this isn't quite right and he began to sink someday we'll preach on that passage but you don't begin to sink, right? You sink. I think even in that, we see the mercy of God and the grace of Jesus because Peter began to sink. And I think Jesus reached out to him and not to put it too uh, familiarly, but where, where are you going? And grabbed him by the hand. You don't begin to sink, but Peter did because Jesus had a lesson to teach. And then they walked back together and climbed in the boat. John saw that happen another time. He was there in the boat and the storm was so horrible that they were terrified and thought they were gonna die. And he saw Jesus get up from a nap and say to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. And it just got silent. Those things, when you see things like that, they do not soon leave. And he writes it in the same way. We have seen them with our eyes. We actually saw these things happen. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Moses and Elijah showed up and Jesus and the three of them are having a, just a conversation. He was there when Jesus turned the water into wine and drank some of that miracle wine. He watched the deaf be given their hearing. He watched lame people jumping around after they were healed and he watched dead people come back to life. Those things change you. He didn't hear about that. He didn't read about it somewhere in the in the Jerusalem Gazette. He saw it happen. And again, 
it happened back there, but the impact of it remains. Oh, sometimes the things that we see impact us so deeply, that impact just remains. We've heard, we've seen it with our eyes, we've looked upon it. Well, didn't he just say that? No, this is different. This is a word for investigation. We have considered this. We have thought about this. We have investigated this. He spent three years with Jesus. He knew exactly who Jesus was. So much so that at the cross, he is there at the foot and Jesus says, I need you to take care of my mom. And he said, I'll do it. I'm in. I got her. He knew exactly who Jesus was because he had looked into it for himself and investigated it. We have touched with our hands. The importance of Jesus being real is a big deal. He was no figment of their imagination. He was real. In Luke chapter 24, the only other place this actual word is used, Jesus is back and he's in the upper room with the disciples after the resurrection and they're like really stunned because here's Jesus and they saw him die and they they knew that he had been raised from the dead in fact John and Peter ran there right John adds the little detail the other disciple outran Peter it's not a competition Peter but I did get there first and all of a sudden, Jesus is in the room. And what does he say? He says, touch me and see, I have flesh and bones. Jesus actually literally came back to life. See my hands and feet that it's I myself. Touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Jesus actually literally came back to life again. He was not a figment of their collective imagination. He was not somebody who, who seemed to come back. He didn't come back in a spiritual sense. Jesus came back to life again, actually physically was alive again after he died. That is really important. <laughs> John says, I experienced all of that. I heard him talk. I saw what he did. I investigated it for myself and I have physically touched him. John's the one who it says in his gospel that he records that at the Last Supper, as Jesus is giving them the bad news that one of them is going to betray him, John leans back on his, uh, on his chest. You know, they're, they're kind of leaning like this, right, eating. They're, they're laying down, reclining, and they're eating. And so Jesus is back here, and John leans back and says to him, who is it, Lord? John was that close to Jesus. All of those things are here. That which we've heard and seen and looked on and touched with our hands. And then there's a parenthesis here. I think it's clear enough in the text that it's a parenthesis. There's a couple of hyphens in my, in my translation. But verse 2 is a parenthesis but it is a parenthesis that is so full of powerful information because John says I'm writing concerning the word of life oh man that's the truth about Jesus 
Pastor Sean said this, this book talks both objectively and subjectively. It lets us know that there are some actual facts that are true, and it helps us to understand why we can know just because we know. There's something inside of us that enables us to be aware, man, I am connected to the God of the universe through Jesus, that real person, and what he did. It's the truth about Jesus. First of all, that he is the word of life. Verse 2 says what? The life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. He is the word of life. Jesus brings life. John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. John chapter 1, man, I wish I had the time to go and spend a little while in there. That is so powerful. If you want to know who Jesus was, read John chapter 1. We're going to touch on it a couple of times here this morning. But he is the life. John chapter 11, when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, and everybody's astonished appropriately. And just before that happens Jesus said don't worry your brother will rise again and Martha the practical one in the group says I know I know he'll rise again in the last day she was theologically accurate and he said Martha I am the resurrection and the life I am the life. And, and if you've been around the family for any length of time at all, you've been familiar with John 14, verse 6, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So i got to stop there for a minute. Because, not to be too uh, simplistic, but the opposite of life is death, Right? The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, I would, I would ask, is there anybody here that's not a sinner, but I'd be afraid somebody would put their hand up, and then that would be really embarrassing for you because the Bible says we all are. Now, we would like to think we're not. We would like to think that perhaps we're at least not as bad a sinner as so-and-so, right? But we have all fallen short of the glory of God, according to Romans chapter 3. All of us deserves death. And in fact, spiritually, we are currently dead if we are not in Christ. Because he is the life. So listen, in, in the event that you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, I need you to know, I, I, I don't like being the bearer of bad news, but I'd rather tell you now than have you find out later. You are spiritually dead if you've never trusted in Jesus as your only hope of salvation. And the Bible says you are facing two more deaths if you are in that condition. If you're spiritually dead, you will physically die, as we all will. But then you'll experience the second death, because if you die physically while you are dead spiritually, you will experience the second death and be separated from God forever. That's horrible situation to be in but Jesus is the word of life he brings life and so 
I get to be spiritually alive. You, he has made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul tells the Ephesians. So I repent of my sin because we all know we have at least some sin in our life. The longer we live, and the, especially the longer we live as a believer, the more we realize how big the quantity was. But we all admit we have at least some. So we turn from that. We repent of our sin. and We believe in the gospel that Jesus, God come in the flesh, which we're going to talk about in a minute. God come in the flesh, lived the perfect life you and I could never live, even if we start now died on the cross, paid the penalty for sin, literally, bodily, came back to life again. That's what we believe about Jesus, the truth about Jesus. So we repent of our sin, we believe in the gospel, we receive Christ. If you've never done that, please let today be that day. Because this book is written so that the apostles, so that those who have followed in the train of the apostles... Those who are followers of Jesus can have joy when other people join the family. So that the angels can celebrate. The Bible says the angels of God rejoice every time one person, one sinner, comes to faith in Christ. This book is written for that purpose. Jesus was the word of life. Secondly, he is God the Son. He was with the Father. Now's when I have to go to John chapter 1 because I can't, I can't talk about this without looking at John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. and a half years and so I, I can look at it I offered one of them they came to me one time and I was really into the whole I know Greek thing which I'm not anymore because I don't know near as well as I you know could but I happened to have my Greek New Testament and I said hey would you show me that verse and of course they couldn't because they have no idea they were reporting what somebody else said unlike John is doing for us here it doesn't mean he was a God. In fact, the exact same construction is used just a little while later in this book when it says God is light. No one would say God is one light among many. It means it is his nature. That's what it means here. The word was God. It was his nature. Jesus, 
is God the Son. And he was made manifest to us. That's revealing something, allowing us to see something that was already there that we hadn't previously seen. God came in the flesh. John chapter 1 and verse 14, right? God took on flesh. He became one of us. One translation says, he took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> I love that. He became flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us, tabernacled here, and we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God, and he came in the flesh. Philippians 2 I probably have it memorized in the King James Version because that's back when I memorized it. Who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped onto, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He was already in the form of God. He is God, but he was made in our likeness. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Now, you've got to think about that. Because for God to take on flesh and become one of us is already pretty big humbling, right? I mean, we think we're pretty, pretty hot stuff because we're like the top of the food chain. Uh, I think it was J. Vernon McGee many years ago said the way we need to think about that is the difference between us and ants. Like, it's, it's ant season, right? Are you starting to get a few here and there? Getting ready to spray the foundation, all that kind of stuff? Keep them out. Listen, have at the lawn, ants. Take it away. I don't even like mowing it. Eat away. It's all good. Just don't come in my house. I'd do almost anything to let them do that. But I wouldn't become an ant to communicate to ants. God became human. He was still God. He was fully God and fully human. No, I can't explain that. I know the Bible teaches it. He was made manifest to us. Colossians describes how that Jesus is the image so that we can see the invisible God. Hebrews 1 says he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is God the Son, Jesus, was made manifest to us. That's all in that little parenthesis. So why is Paul, or rather John, why is John writing this letter? The reason to write about it. One is fellowship. He wants us to have fellowship. Now, for those of us who come from uh, various backgrounds, fellowship may mean different things. From the church background I came from fellowship always included food we called it a fellowship supper and even if there wasn't much fellowship going on there was at least some chicken somebody brought fried chicken but I assure you fellowship in the in the New Testament is far deeper than a casserole dish fellowship is when we jointly participate with each other in something that we share in common now you can do that about a lot of things, right? You may, you may enjoy 
boating or you may enjoy hunting or you may enjoy crafting or you may enjoy whatever and you get together with other people who enjoy that same thing and you're you're really interested in it and you do that together you are in one sense of the word fellowshipping over that but that's not what Paul's talking about we know that right this is based on our mutual relationship with God that which we've seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son Jesus Christ so there is this whole business of fellowship when we think about joint participation in something we share in common ours is sharing in the things of Christ ours is sharing in fellowship with God can you even imagine we participate in what God is doing when we fellowship with God and with Jesus and with others who have followed after Christ. How do we do that? At the risk, again, of being simplistic and repetitious, we come to worship together in church, right? We pray together. We get together in a small group and interact and grow and build into each other's lives. We serve together. We expand our ministry, disciple people and send them and expand what God is doing and we do all of those things and that's how we can fellowship with each other. And you know what? Sometimes it just might include a meal too. That's okay. The second thing that he writes for the reason that he writes is so that there can be joy we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete now the real technicians will argue about whether that's our joy or your joy or everybody's joy or whatever so you know I don't really care but our joy is complete when we are all walking in lockstep with each other and with God and his son Jesus. He wants us to have joy. Because remember, happiness is based on happenings, what goes on. If you didn't shoot the score you wanted to when you were playing golf, you're not very happy. If you got a flat tire, you're not very happy. If you got an unexpected check for $10,000 in the mail, you're happy of course till taxes come but happiness is based on what happens to you joy is a settled confidence that is in your soul that God is being glorified in your life which means joy can come even when good things aren't coming right now joy doesn't come because life is good joy comes because God is good and he says it's overflowing. We want the joy to be complete, filled up to overflowing. Fellowship with God and with other believers results in joy. So listen, let me just give you a couple of thoughts as we kind of wrap up week one. I got to ask you, have you believed and received the truth about Jesus? God come in the flesh paid the penalty for our sin 
lived righteously so his righteousness could be applied to our account, paid the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross, was buried, actually literally came back to life again so that John could say, our hands have touched him. We turn from our sin, we repent, we believe the gospel, we receive Christ to as many as received him. That's the part of John chapter 1 that I left out, right? That's all talking about how Jesus came, the life came, the life was the light of men. He came to his own, and they didn't receive him. But to as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power, the authority, the right to become children of God. So we repent of our sin, we believe the gospel, we receive Christ. If you've never done that, please, please, please believe the truth about Jesus. Let it begin with truth. Let it result in how you feel about it. Secondly, are you pursuing fellowship with him? Are you pursuing fellowship with God, with Jesus, with other believers? We are not meant to do this alone. The point, one of the reasons that he wrote 1 John, this first letter, is to say, listen, I want you to have joy. I want you to enjoy fellowship with one another. Are you pursuing that? How are you pursuing that? I agree with Pastor Sean. I totally agree, and I know this is his heart too. If you've got to be gone this summer, get some vacation time in, rest, relax a little bit. You're allowed to watch online. If you're sick, if you are infirmed and can't get out, or if you're on vacation, please do that in those cases. All the rest of the time, be in charge. But anyway, <laughs> man, don't miss this. There is so much in here. Four verses, and I just talked for a half an hour. I know there's so much in here, and we could have kept going on some of those things. I hope you'll be part of this. I hope because this will help us grow our fellowship. Fellowship isn't based on mutual interests in the biblical sense of the word. It's based on our mutual participation in the things of God. And when we have that, that minimizes the distinctions in our personal interests, right? Because we have one thing that supersedes them all, and that's why we can come together. It's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Listen, I'm going to uh, invite the team back up, and then I'm going to pray. And uh, after we sing a bit, I'm going to come back up, and uh, we're going to have our uh, benediction and uh, leave here. But I hope that you will uh, take the truth about Jesus with you. Let it fill your heart. Let it bring you joy today. All right, Father in heaven, thank you for your grace, for your love for us, for the opportunity to open your word. And I pray. God, I pray that you would give us joy as we fellowship with one another and with you. And oh, Father, I pray for the one that might be here this morning that has never made the decision to trust in Jesus. Would you prompt their heart? Would you bring conviction to them so that they will repent of their sin, believe in the gospel, the truth about Jesus, and receive him? Uh, Lord, I pray that that would happen today, that we'd all leave here encouraged in our walk with you, for we ask in Christ's name, amen.